the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. As a brief aside, what um, Bonnie won't tell you about that first reading is that she, the backstory is that she had that memorized from a previous Sunday, I don't know how many years ago, five or six years ago, um, and rattled it off during Bible study on Wednesday and, uh, and knew it by heart still. So I thought that was pretty great, the way that we can internalize those significant passages of Scripture. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> My recent road trip about a month ago brought me safely from Chicago through Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Next stop, New York. As I made my way through New Jersey, about to cross the George Washington Bridge into Manhattan, traffic that had been steadily moving along came to a screeching halt in the thick of New York City traffic. Even two decks of a bridge with a combined 14 lanes of vehicles didn't seem to help. But the sudden standstill traffic gave me a chance to take in the sights of the vehicles surrounding me. Surely my Illinois license plate stuck out like a sore thumb in the sea of mostly New York and some New Jersey license plates. But I also noticed, curiously enough, that none of the vehicles around me, at least not that I could see, had bumper stickers of any kind. Which made me even more acutely aware of my own many bumper stickers and what they say about me. In addition to my window clings for my college and seminary and a few others, I also have, like some of you, whoop, a St. Philip magnet 
with the bold declaration, love is greater than hate. So back on the George Washington Bridge, as I'm attempting to navigate an unfamiliar city, paying attention to road signs and trying to change lanes as best I could, my inner road rage started to emerge, <laughs> muttering things under my breath about my fellow drivers that I'll leave to your imagination, but things that maybe aren't exactly so harmonious with a love is greater than hate bumper sticker. I'm sure none of you can relate. The tongue is a fire, the writer of James tell, tells us. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Now, it's unfortunate that this book of James gets such a poor reputation among Lutherans. So much so that Luther himself didn't think it belonged in the canon, the official list of books of the New Testament, because it didn't contain enough gospel or good news about Jesus. Can faith save you? We read last week. Well, yes, that's the good Lutheran answer, isn't it? We're saved by grace through faith. But the writer of James doesn't seem to be so convinced. Faith without works is dead he says, in no uncertain terms. So you can see why at first glance, James seems to be at odds with basic Lutheran theology. But still, it's unfortunate that this book gets such a poor reputation because in other places, it's so brutally honest and perhaps even refreshingly so about the human condition. At its core, James highlights what one biblical scholar says is the, the critical distance between the head and the heart, between the idea of Jesus and his radical care for the other and the actions born out of that idea. In other words, between what we like to think we believe and how we actually act, or between what the bumper sticker says and what comes out of our mouth in rush hour traffic. On the one hand, it's easy to be left feeling ashamed or guilty when we hear passages like this, and shame is a mighty powerful emotion. It might leave us feeling hypocritical like bad Christians or bad people in general. But at the same time, this book, and in particular this short little essay excerpt on the dangers of the unbridled tongue is so brutally honest about the human condition that it's almost like grace in and of itself. These words don't have to conjure up overwhelming shame, and these words certainly shouldn't be used against anyone to make them feel ashamed. And really, who among us could level that kind of judgment at someone else without it coming right back at ourselves. But instead, the good news that I hear is that even when it feels like we can never live up to the ideals of our faith or our God's work, our hands, t-shirts, or our bumper stickers, James reminds us that we will inevitably mess up and fall short. Now, it's not licensed to mess up, but it does say that it's okay because it's going to happen. And more importantly, 
It gives us an opportunity to live more intentionally and more mindfully going forward. To lean into the grace that gives us strength to keep going. Now at the risk of making it sound like I'm suggesting it's all up to us, our works alone, and thus proving Luther's distaste with this book, I want to be clear that it's not. Luther himself wrote about the place of works in the life of faith in his 1520 essay, The Freedom of a Christian. It's very short, you can look it up online. In that essay, Luther reaffirms that we are indeed saved by grace through faith because of what God in Christ has done for us. And it's because of what God in Christ has done for us that we are compelled to joyfully and gratefully respond in acts of loving service to our neighbor. We love because God first loved us. So James really isn't at odds with Luther after all. Faith and works go hand in hand. Today, in addition to Rally Day and the start of a new program year at St. Philip, we also celebrate God's work our hands Sunday, along with congregations across the ELCA. The name itself is telling. It is God who works through us as we are swept up into the work of repairing and redeeming the world that God calls us to. God's work, our hands, God's work, our feet, God's work, our voice. As the hymn we'll sing this morning repeats, bless God, our hands, our feet, our voice, our lives, as we share the good news of your gospel. The writer of James reminds us that being called as God's people is a bit like playing with fire. The words we speak, the things we do, the way we live have the potential to do fiery harm. But they also have the greater potential to set the world ablaze with Holy Spirit's fire, the light and life that shines brightly as a witness to the great love that God has for each and every one of us.